Hello, listeners, and welcome to Closing Time, the podcast that provides an inside look at the world of healthcare startups and venture capital. I'm Hallie Tecco. And I'm Michael Esquivel. Each episode, we get the privilege of meeting entrepreneurs at the forefront of healthcare innovation. You get to eavesdrop on pitches that are reshaping healthcare from founders daring to think differently. So pull up a chair and join us as we journey into the future of healthcare, one pitch at a time. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Closing Time Podcast. I cannot believe this is our 10th episode. If we could ask for a very quick favor, please support the show by leaving us five stars in the app store. We know you're listening and appreciate you joining us each week. Okay, today, Michael and I wanted to take a step back from founder pitches and get into the details of what happens when a deal is made between a startup and a VC. My co-host, Michael, has been helping me structure and negotiate term sheets, both as an investor and as a founder for over a decade. Michael, I'm excited to dive into this topic and pick your brain on term sheets. Looking forward to it, Hallie. It's going to be a fun conversation, I hope. (laughs) I know how you get when you are so passionate about something, um, and I fully expect that in this conversation. (laughs) So I wanted to start out with a question that is kind of contextualizing this conversation for today. How are the term sheets that were signed in 2021... How are they causing problems for founders today? Yeah, great question, Hallie. I mean, today we're living in a very, very different world than the one we were living in just two years ago. The reality is that uh, we are seeing valuations in particular return back to, you know, more historic norms in terms of multiples and, uh, and, and overall enterprise value. When you think about what we saw during this pandemic period, it was an incredible acceleration of the adoption of many technologies. And I think there was a belief amongst many of us that uh, many of these shifts were going to be permanent structural shifts in how we went about our daily lives. And while I think that's true, I think investors and founders were, were looking to capture some of that value today. So we saw multiples that just exceeded historic norms. I mean, we saw companies that were raising money on 100 times multiples on next 12 months revenue or ARR. We saw routinely 30 to 50x type multiples. And if you look at what happened in the public markets over the last you know, 18, 24 months, we've seen a dramatic correction, uh, right? The reality is that most of the comps in the public markets have had adjustments between 30, 40, 50%, and in some cases, significantly more. So by definition, those uh, adjustments and those corrections in the public markets had to find their way into the private markets because those companies eventually hope to exit to become public market equivalent. So, uh, you know, it's just a very, very different world. And I think the the sooner we all come to appreciate the reality of that, I think the more, you know, the more comfortable we'll be moving forward as a collective industry. So it's just a, a different time. And uh, I, I think now is the time for us to, to take a step back. And the reality is we're seeing more historic trends. When people ask me, well, what ranges are you seeing, Michael? And, you know, for, for solid companies, we're back to three to five X, three to 6x multiples for, you know, really, really good companies. Maybe they're 6 to 10x. And for, you know, those supernova type 
companies, you're looking at 10, 15, maybe you might get into the 20x kind of range, but but you're nowhere near some of the the, the multiple ranges mm-hmm. we were seeing in 21 and, and early part of 22. So what's happening is, at least what I'm seeing is a lot of these companies that had really strong founders at the idea stage that raised at 25, 30, 40 million dollar seed round valuations. Now, perhaps they haven't grown into that. And I'm seeing a lot of flat rounds, some down rounds. What does that mean for founders? What does that mean for existing investors? Who wins and who loses in these situations? Yeah, you know, there's just such a fascination right now with, um, you know, my goodness, I have to take a down round. And, and the advice I give founders all the time is, listen, there, there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be hurdles and challenges in every startup journey. And so now, now is the time to just say, look, uh, you know, this is just one moment in time. It, it's okay. We, we are going to see a lot of down rounds. I'm seeing them in my practice. We're seeing them in, in, across the data that we are both collecting internally at Fenwick and West and the data we're seeing from third-party providers. And so, mm-hmm. look, you know, flat is the new up is the way I like to think of it. And, and a down round is okay. The, the mistake I think we're all <laughs> seeing our founders uh, engage in at times is they're, they're so focused on trying to keep that top line nominal headline valuation number up that they're engaging in, in the dreaded structured round, the dreaded dirty term sheet, as uh, some investors uh, have, have coined it. And mm. uh, I, think, I think you're better off as a company in the long run, both for your employees and for the cap table, to take your medicine, do a, round, do a down round, but do it with clean terms. And, and avoid some mm. of the structure. And we'll get into what all that means in a bit, Hallie. But, but I, I do, th- yeah, yeah, I, I do think, <laughs> I do think if we keep terms clean in, in, in how we go about raising capital, I think it gives the companies and the founders the chance to fight another day, to live on and, and to set, set yeah. it up for long-term success without creating, you know, an ever increasing liquidation preference stack. And, and, and that's one of the, the key elements mm. of a, of a, of a structured round. So, uh, we can dive into that in a minute, but, yeah. but I think, I think we have to think about this in the long run. We can't be in a situation where we're simply focusing on, okay, today, yeah. uh, remember a financing yeah. event and a valuation event is a one-time moment snapshot in the history of that trajectory of that company. And you got to think about the entire yeah. digital motion picture, the entire framing of, of the yeah. life cycle. But it can be... It can be demoralizing, though. So let me give you an example of a something that happened to one of my companies earlier this year. You know, I always say, like, angel investors, we, we really get screwed over the years. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, of course, it can turn out fabulously. But there are so many cases of recaps where early believers in the company are just completely wiped out. And I had a situation of a founder who had a, had a round that really recap, recapitalized the company. And for those that didn't participate in the round, our preferred shares were transferred to common at like a 10 to one uh, ratio, which, you know, essentially, you know, wiped us, wiped us away. And I was, I was pretty, pretty annoyed by it, especially once I found out that founders can structure it to kind of protect angels. But, you know, and I talked to the founder about it, you know, we went back and forth on email and the founder was just like, I I had no choice. Like, this is what the market gave me. I beggars can't be choosers was kind of the message I got. And I'm I'm seeing this a lot, Um, but it, it can be demoralizing for founders and early believers in the company, early investors, early employees. 
who've been working hard and are, are tired. No, no doubt. Look, it is. No, no one's saying when I say take your medicine that it's going to be a fun experience. <laughs> but I, <laughs> you're, still I, you're still sick, <laughs> and you're, you're you're still you're still dealing with the hangover effect of that. But but here's the way to here's the way to address it. I think if you structure a down round in a, a really significant recap style uh, situation like the one you alluded to a moment ago. You need to put a big option pool in place. I, I, I remind the, the the investors who lead that mm. because you've got to turn around after the fallout of the conversion and and what you experienced, Hallie, was a pay to play, and we should talk about that in a minute. But but after yeah. the pay to play is executed, you now need to make sure that you've properly reincentivize those employees that are left that are the remaining in the boat. We want them to feel like they're part of the go forward mission, and that if through their hard go forward efforts, we can right the ship. And so I think it's important that when you do experience a down round as a founder, that you work hard to negotiate a large option pool so that you can turn around and take, you know, half of that increase and give it to yeah. the existing employees. So we might see in a typical financing round, an option pool increase anywhere from, I don't know, call it 8% on the low end to, to something like 15%. When I see a down round, especially a big recap like you're talking about, I, I'm pushing for a 20, 25, 30% pool. And I'm saying, look, we got to give half of that mm. to the go forward employees to really re-incentivize them. By the way, that equity is going to get issued at a brand new 409A. And if you've had a big down round, that 409A is going to be much, much lower than the 409A price they, they probably got when they first received their options. Yeah. And so now, now everybody feels like, okay, I've got a significant equity stake in the business. And, and if I continue to put my nose to the grindstone, I continue to grind, um, there's yeah. some real upside value. So, so I, I think that's important. Is there any liability though for the founders? Like, cause you can imagine a, a, previous employee, maybe an early uh, employee who worked for four or five years, walked away, you know, feels like, well, I'm not given more equity because I'm not there now, but this has diluted my ownership and could sue. Is that possible? Is that something that what, the liability that founders should look I, out for? I think for? it's something you should always be mindful of, right? Former employees, you know, you want to you want to try to do the best you can by them because they helped you get to whatever that point was in the life cycle that now, uh, unfortunately, has brought you to this down round. But they certainly were contributors. The, the way to protect yourself as a founder and as a board and, frankly, any of the investors on the board, you've got to go out there yeah. and make sure you've done a full market check, that you have turned over every reasonable stone and looked at every reasonable reasonable opportunity. And if at the end of the day, there the alternative is either shut the company down or engage in this, this very challenging down round situation, there's no question that yeah. the best way to protect yourself is saying, look, we've talked to 30 venture firms. We talked to a dozen M&A potential buyers and all of them passed. And so we're now at the point where we can wind it down and everybody goes to zero. Or we can take this term sheet and see if the the vision and mission that those early employees helped create, if we have a shot to make it a reality down the line. So, mm -hmm. so it's not yeah. a look. It's not a happy situation for anyone. The existing employees that are part of the go forward business, that you know, even with the option grants, they feel demoralized, as you said. The investors feel like, well, we we invested a ton of money and it's gone to zero in in in, in most cases. So it really is though about creating the best. 
you know, circumstances to try to give that vision yeah. a chance to, 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 to reach, uh, you know, reach reality. And so it's not, it's not fun, yeah. but you know, you re- yeah, go yeah. ahead, Kelly, please. <laughs> well, I mean, it just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I've been burned as an angel investor. I feel like I take the biggest risk in the founder earliest on maybe angel investors and early employees are the most important in a company's success because without them, the company couldn't even get to getting, you know, a series A and here, beyond here. yet. We're like also the first to get screwed over in these situations. Yeah, no, it's, 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 you know, it's a fair observation. W- one thing you could do. And one thing that we oftentimes, I certainly raise with my founders to raise to the investors that are leading the down round. Do you want to try to carve them out? So under Delaware law, implementing a pay-to-play, and for for our listeners, a pay-to-play is a transaction where uh, an investor has to invest usually their full pro rata in order to avoid, invest in in the down round in order to avoid having their equity suffer some penalty. And the typical penalty is that their existing preferred stock would get converted into common stock. Uh, like happened with you, Hallie. And and oftentimes there's a further penalty where you compress that by, as you noted in the example you experienced, it's 10 for one, meaning every 10 shares of preferred stock that's being converted into common becomes just one share. So you have a 90% <laughs> reduction, painful. right, in your overall equity <laughs> position. And and look, I think it's important, a, cu- a couple of things to protect the company and, and potentially one way, especially if, as is usually the case, the seed investors, the early angel, the pre-seed investors, don't actually represent a significant amount of, of liquidation preference in the aggregate. One way to protect them is under Delaware law, you can set an objective standard and say the pay to play only applies to shareholders, preferred shareholders that hold more than X shares. And you set that threshold so that maybe you protect those early investors who, to your point, Hallie, are the only reason we're even in the position to be fighting, to, to, to fight, to live another day. Yeah. And so you could do that. And you say, yeah. look, I, I really, really, and I do have founders who oftentimes come to me and say, Michael, I really want to protect those super angels who, who were there for me when no one else would bet on me. And, and I think by setting yeah. that pay to play threshold in a way that you, you know, you give them the chance to not suffer the penalty by exempting them. That's the word I'm looking for, exempting them from the application of that penalty. Look, the other reality is the Delaware courts have spoken on this. The, the ultimate answer, of course, from a, from a legal perspective is you can protect your interest by simply investing your pro rata. Right. And I know for angels, that oftentimes isn't the business model. <laughs> yeah. And, and there oftentimes yeah. isn't even money in funds. I mean, some of the m- most seminal cases that, yeah. you know, we assign uh, the students, as, as you know, Hallie, I teach a class at Stanford Law School on venture capital. And one of the seminal cases makes it very clear that the Delaware courts have ruled that the fact that an investor doesn't have money to invest its pro rata into a down round is not an excuse. If the investor is given the mm. opportunity to invest its pro rata and avoid the penalty of the pay to play, that is what the courts are looking for. So the fact is yeah. the lack of funds. And, uh, you're an accredited investor. You could afford it the first time. Like, yeah. And if you're a fund for some of these, we don't feel, we don't feel bad. Spot for you. on. <laughs> and, 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 and the fact that you've yeah. <laughs> invested all of the capital out of that fund and have no more dry powder left to invest again is not an argument that the courts in Delaware find as uh, as sympathetic. And so, so 
I know it's called comfort for the realities of angel investors where they, they don't have a pool of capital per se, or maybe they don't have the yeah. funds to do the pro rata. But, uh, uh, but in theory, if you did it, you protect yourself. So if that's not practical, then, you know, I'd encourage founders to think about, can we set the threshold or can we do other versions of the mm -hmm. pay to play? Maybe you do, you know, a version where it's not a full conversion. Maybe you say, if you invest your proportionate amount of your pro rata. So if you invest 50% of your pro rata, even, even getting a little bit means only 50% of your existing preferred gets converted down into common. That could be one way. So it's a proportionate penalty. So, or if yeah. you did 20%, only, you know, only 80% gets converted, not all of it. So there are ways to structure it so that you try and protect your angels to the best extent you can. But I do think it's an important consideration yeah. that founders should take into account when negotiating the down round structure and mechanics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So investors can, can potentially protect themselves by exercising their pro rata if they can. But then that really leaves employees uh, as the ones who are at the, the biggest disadvantage. What advice do you have for employees that are working at companies that they know are uh, going through a down round financing? Great question. Uh, so, so a couple of things. One, if it's feasible, uh, I always encourage my founders to think about offering to those employees that are accredited investors to give them the chance to participate as well. It's always the, the, the more accredited investors you can appeal to on the cap table just, again, reduces uh, any any potential litigation risk down the line. But but a couple mm -hmm. of things that I think are more more likely to happen because oftentimes employees are already putting sweat equity right they could have stayed at you know one of the big tech firms and made a lot <laughs> a lot of cash more more equity money potentially uh, but they took the risk in joining a startup and so they're already putting a lot of their personal financial you know wealth at risk by being part of the startup so they may not have the capital or, or in the diversification goals they have they may not want to spend the capital investing so there's a couple of things that do come into play number one we talked about it earlier. Let's let's get a big option pool in place. Let's make sure that they're getting equity at the new 49A and a big slug of it to really incentivize them to take a breath, gather their their um, you gather themselves and 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 really roll up the sleeves yeah. and get back to work. But number two, something that oftentimes isn't considered, the pay to play wipes out liquidation preference. Remember, common sits at the bottom of the liquidation stack, meaning at, at an exit event, the preferred investors, if they're going to take their liquidation preference, they get their first money out. But if the pay to play reduces the aggregate liquidation stack by the amount of, by which investors who do not participate get converted into common, the, the aggregate stack is, is now going down. And moreover, if you do a punitive pay to play, like the one you experienced, you're also reducing the fully diluted number by a significant amount yeah. because the fully diluted number of shares has gone down because the penalty was 10 for one. So you're reducing each non-participating investor stake by 90% and you're taking that liquidation amount off the top and they're, because they're now just common sitting side by side with the employees. So there are, you know, there are a few small silver linings in an otherwise just horrible situation. Uh, but, but look, no one feels yeah. good. It's, it's not a fun experience, but I can't emphasize enough that you're better off doing that, taking that pain in the near term to set up the company for long-term success by keeping things straightforward yeah. and clean and simple.
Well, Michael, I think that was a really great overview of down rounds, which a lot of folks are facing. I think we should call this for part one of this series. And in part two, I'd love to dive into what you called clean terms. So listeners, stay tuned. Michael, thank thank you. you. Talk to you guys all soon. And that's closing time for today. A huge thanks to our partners at Fenwick for underwriting this show. Recording, editing, and audio mixing by Kyle Moore. Thanks to our guests and to you, our listeners, for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And check out our website, closingtimepodcast.com, for more exclusive content. Until next time, this is Hallie Teco and Michael Esquivel for Closing Time. 